You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Welcome back to The Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today. We are grateful for everybody who listens in, whether you are on your way to dropping your kids off at school or out and about doing exercise or chores or whatever you're doing, whatever occupies your time and allows you to download this podcast and listen. We're thankful for every listener. And if you like the show, we just want to encourage you to rate and review it at iTunes. Uh, That just helps get the word out to others or share what you liked about this show on social media. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to tell you about two important things. Uh, One, my new book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good, is out and available wherever you buy books. Perhaps you're reading it now. If you are, I'd love to uh, hear what you think about it and possibly write a review on Amazon. But if you have not gotten it, you can go to awaywithwordsbook.com and there's links to all your favorite retailers, Amazon, Christian Book, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, And don't forget independent bookstores. It's all available there. Would love for you to pick up a copy of that. Also, I would love for you to sign up for my newsletter. It's called One Little Word, and it goes out about every two weeks. And I have fresh content in there that you haven't found anywhere. Original stuff, not found any of my articles or book chapters or anything like that. And I talk about all sorts of things from history to ideas on leadership, to some things I'm learning in the scriptures, kind of an eclectic collection of ideas that I'll send out in there. Also, you'll get updates on my latest projects and links to my latest work, wherever it is around the web or publications and what I'm reading. I'll put in there the books that are on my book stack. So if you like that sort of thing, please go to my website, danieldarling.com and sign up for one little word. I'd love to have you as part of that community. Today we have a great guest in store for you, Alyssa Childers. Uh, Alyssa has a fantastic story. She grew up uh, in the church. She uh, was part of the popular contemporary Christian group Zoe Girl and toured around the country at churches and concert venues for a long time. She had a period in her life where she was doubting the central claims of Christianity, a period of wrestling, and she has a new book about it called Another Gospel. And this book walks through some of the questions she had and how she found answers that solidified her faith in the core teachings of the Christian faith. She also takes on what she calls progressive Christianity, a kind of Christianity that casts doubt on things like the virgin birth, the inspiration of scripture, and some core teachings like that that are central to what we believe as Christians. It's a very good book that I highly recommend pastors and church leaders get for their people. She writes in a very readable, understanding way, and yet I think is courageous in that she takes on some of the false teaching that is out there that some Christians are tempted to believe. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Alyssa Childers. Well, I'm glad to have uh, on the podcast, uh, Alyssa Childers. Alyssa, thanks for joining me today. Dan, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, I'm glad to have you. Uh, I've been reading your book. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. It's a great read. 
And uh, for people that aren't familiar, the title of the book is Another Gospel. A lifelong Christian seeks truth in response to progressive Christianity. Really appreciate this. Lee Strobel wrote the foreword, and I, I've always been a huge uh, fan of Lee uh, and love his work. And uh, endorsed by Melissa Kruger. I love her stuff. I know her fairly well. And just, I think this is a really important book. So before we get into the the meat of the book, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you toured with the contemporary Christian group, Zoe Girl. And so maybe share a little bit about your background in music and a little bit of your story. Yeah, I grew up in a musical household. So my dad was one of the founders of the contemporary Christian music uh, industry. Although back then they were just a bunch of hippies that had found Jesus. So they weren't planning right. on starting a Jesus <laughs> movement. Yeah. 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 That's where he he got saved and as a, as a hippie and just started singing his Jesus songs and all of that eventually morphed into the, the Christian industry. So I grew up. Uh, really in an artistic home, a very genuinely, uh, authentically Christian home. And and what I mean by that is looking back, I'm so thankful that my parents gave me the real thing. They gave me the gospel. I, I think that that is a huge part of my story because when I would go through a time of doubt later in life, I think them modeling genuine Christianity to me, which meant reading and studying the Bible together as a family, regularly watching my parents read the Bible, uh, prayer, and then also works. So my my mom had us out working soup lines at the Fred Jordan Mission in LA, lots of street ministry with uh, drug addicts and prostitutes. And that was just, that's just what Christians did. That's, that's what the Christianity I was given was, was all about. And not just that, but just because I don't want to make it sound like it was perfect. It certainly wasn't, but that's kind of the point is that my parents always modeled giving Jesus everything, even when we make mistakes to, to repent and, um, just constantly, just not, not just Sunday Christians. And so, like you mentioned, I went into, uh, follow my dad's footsteps and go into the Christian music business with Zoe girl. And we traveled all over the country and got to experience so many cool things. And then it really it wasn't until I was an adult, until I was married with a new baby, that I experienced significant doubt about what I believed really for the first time. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that at this point because I went, you know, 30 or so years having never seriously doubted what I believed. And it was uh, essentially through the vehicle of progressive Christianity that my faith was challenged. So a a church that we were attending uh, invited me to be a part of a small study group. And it was within the context of this group that the pastor revealed he was agnostic and basically everything I believed was, was challenged. And that's, that was the vehicle through which my faith was, was challenged really for the first time. You know, it's interesting when I was reading your book, I was just really thinking about a lot of things. First, something you just said resonates a lot with me. You know, I grew up in a more kind of independent fundamentalist church. And I hate using the word fundamentalist because like you accurately say, if we, by fundamentalist, we mean like the fundamentals of the faith, core doctrines of the faith, sign me up for that. Right. But you know what I'm saying? A little bit more, um, it's hard to describe, but, and so there's a lot of things that, that obviously I don't take from that, you know, now, but the thing I just so, as I've gotten older, appreciate is the way that the rhythms of going to church, singing the hymns, reading my Bible, hearing the gospel over and over again in ways that I didn't even you know think about at the time because I was just a kid, have shaped and formed my heart in ways that have come back. And it seems like when I read your story, you know, even though you had a period of soul searching and stuff, 
those things kind of, the, the fruit of that came back to you. Is that, is that accurate to say? Uh, definitely. In fact, when I look back at that class that I was in, so many of my friends that ended up rejecting the gospel and rejecting historic Christianity did so due to the sort of strange or extreme type of uh, environments they grew up in. Either they grew up in a hyper-legalistic environment or there was spiritual abuse or, or something along those lines. And I just remember sitting in the class thinking, okay, my, my upbringing certainly wasn't perfect, but I had no reason to want to doubt it. I, I had overall a really good experience with church. The, the fruit of reading the Bible my whole life was so big. In fact, it was really, I, I didn't know much about apologetics or church history or any of the intellectual stuff, but I did know the Bible. And I think that knowledge that was imparted to me, all that scripture memorization and grade school and, and uh, Bible studies with my family, that all came back. And when the pastor would take the Bible out of context or even misquote it, that's when my ears would perk up because I knew the word so well. That That's what was given to me. And I really think that that's the main thing that got me through that time. Yeah. And, and it's interesting to me, when I think of my own story, there was a season of life where I was emerging out of a kind of an unhealthy environment and looking for models about what do I want to be and do as a Christian. I was a pastor at the time, so it was even more important to me. And I knew two things at the same time. I knew I didn't want legalism, extra biblical legalism that I thought was unhealthy. And I'd seen the unhealthy culture fruit of that. But at the same time, Alyssa, I didn't want the kind of progressive Christianity that I saw out there. And it was those alarm bells in my head ringing off like, no, no, this can't be true because of what I know about the authority of scripture, you know, the resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth, all these things. Uh, it, it sounds like for you, that was very similar. Like you're, you're searching you're, and you're like, I'm trying to figure things, these things out, but I know it can't be, it can't be this progressive stuff. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is because it was very clear to me what was essential, what had to do with salvation. Mm -hmm. Because I think when progressive Christianity was first coming in, I, I even going back to the emergent church in the late nineties, early two thousands, they were bringing in some legitimate critiques, maybe some things about church culture that we needed to rethink and reevaluate, or even yes. the way that we were practicing our Christianity. And so I was all on board for that. I wanted to, to reevaluate some of the methods that the church was using to reach people or even going about doing church in our in our culture. But what I didn't realize at the time was that so many of them were willing to throw the gospel out, like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's what was so shocking to me is when I'd be in this class and I would be in agreement with some of the critiques, but then they would go so far, um, you know, even referring to the atonement as cosmic child abuse or making the resurrection of Jesus sort of just this minor secondary issue. And, and I was just like, wait, hold on. The, yeah. these, are, these are really um, important and essential beliefs of Christianity that, that actually define Christianity. And it just seemed like everything was sort of put on the same level in the progressive movement and you could pick and choose what you wanted to believe in order to call yourself a Christian. That That's so true. That That's exactly where I was. And it just shows to me, even now as a parent, you know, I've got four children. My oldest is almost 16. My youngest is nine. The importance of these spiritual rhythms that they don't quite understand right now, mm -hmm. but that will show up later. You walk through, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, we, we, I think we're similar age. We're kind of like the, the same time period when kind of progressive Christianity took off a lot of these voices. What's interesting to me, Alyssa, is that 
the different trajectories of some, right? So some voices that I've followed for the last 10 years or 15 years, you know, started out with legitimate critiques of evangelicalism or the church, or even, even maybe a too close association with politics. If that's, that's a Mm -hmm. thing that people are nervous about and started out with really good critiques, but continued to kind of take that progression continually, even away from the historic claims of Christianity. And now when you read their stuff, it looks nothing like Christianity. You know, now they're not talking about those legitimate things are talking about really serious issues of the Christian faith. I see a little bit that of that now, even in this, you know, Trump era where people, you know, if you're a Christian who's repulsed by Trump, you know, however you feel about him, taking a legit, maybe a legitimate critique here, but just throwing everything out and just going to a place you never thought you would be. So I see that trajectory for some that I've watched. Then I see others who are a little bit like yourself, who in some ways were turned off by some of the things they saw growing up, methods or even distortion of beliefs, and maybe flirted a little bit with mm-hmm. the emergent movement or progressive Christianity, but then have come back and said, no, I, I can't go there. Like the, all these things in, 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 the, in the scripture are true. I think of someone like Dan Kimball, right? Who mm-hmm. was kind of an emergent guy, but if you read Dan Kimball now, very orthodox and defends orthodoxy and all that. So it's interesting, those two paths. What do you make of that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, mentioning the emergent movement and guys like Dan Kimball, in the beginning of the emergent movement, you had a lot of different Christians from more theologically liberal uh, side of things to the more theologically conservative side of things. And in the beginning, the emergent church was essentially addressing methods. They were looking at the ways in which the church was interacting with culture. What can we do to engage this postmodern culture that that we find ourselves in? But I think what ended up happening is guys like Dan Kimball and others uh, ended up separating from that movement because the theologically liberal side of things sort of ended up taking over and it caused a bit of a split, it seems to me. And so that's why I think today we think back of the emergent movement being more of a theologically liberal type of movement that planted the seedbed for uh, what we see now in progressive Christianity. And so I think, I think much like you just mentioned, a lot of Christians were saying, okay, some we, we've got to reevaluate some things, but maybe half of those people were willing to reevaluate beyond just practical methods or, um, you know, the, the way in which we practice our faith. And they were willing to reevaluate actual core doctrines of the faith. In fact, you know, in a lot of the progressive Christian literature, that's what they're doing is they're calling into question uh, what we would consider to be core doctrines. I mean, defining doctrines of, right. of the Christian faith. And I think that's what caused the split because the people who are more theologically conservative are going to be like, whoa, wait a second. We're not going to go there with you. Like, yeah, we can, we talk about like deconstruction. You can deconstruct cultural Christianity all you want, but we're not going to, we're not going to deconstruct right. historic Christianity. I mean, that is what it is. And we agree with it or we disagree with it, but we can't just change that and still in any meaningful sense, call it Christianity. Right. And there's this narrative that all the young people are going toward progressive Christianity and are embracing this kind of heterodoxy. And frankly, it's been a narrative my whole life. I read articles 20 years ago saying young evangelicals are tired of this and that, you know, whatever the entrance point is, politics or whether it's legalism or whatever the framing issue is, but they're leaving the historic Christian faith and they're embracing this. And I've heard that my whole life from people who are progressive and from conservatives who are nervous that we're losing our kids. There's a lot of noise on Twitter and there's a lot of this stuff that's creeping into the church that makes me nervous. But I just don't see it overall. 
this idea that it's this trajectory, that this is where people are going. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it. How do you see that? I think that what we're seeing is a is just an absolute repeat of what we saw in the late 1800s and early 1900s. I think, you know, you had the rise of the theological liberalism, which sort of split the church and and you had the mainline Protestant denominations that basically adopted this this theology that essentially is the same theological assumptions and conclusions that progressive Christians are making now within evangelicalism. But, you know, we're watching those go into decline. And so I, it was the other day I was talking with somebody and this idea came into my head and I think that it's, I think that it works. And that is that this kind of ideology is, it's nothing new, but it's kind of parasitic in the sense that it it will look for a new host. And I think that's what we're seeing happen is all of that's this- That's a great point. You know, it's like all this theological liberalism that burned its way through the, the Protestant denominations that are now in decline. It's getting a new life and a new invigoration in evangelicalism. We're doing the same thing we had to do back then where, you know, certain gatekeepers are saying, no, you're not going to bring those ideas in here. And- we are seeing even denominations continue to split. Methodist Church is about to split. We're seeing, you know, all of those things that were happening will happen again. But yeah, I, I think that overall, of course, we know the church will be fine. Um, the church will prevail. It will continue. It might get small for for a while, and it might, you know, split off. And people who want to go with it in this direction will do that again. And then I think though we will see decline in that because this isn't a reproductive ideology. It's not creating life. It's not giving healing for sin or wholeness. It's not giving a cure to what's actually wrong with the world, which is sin. And so, you know, if you remove any meaningful mechanism for atonement, if you remove any meaningful um, understanding of sin in the world and and the, the problem that creates, the only sort of fruit of that is going to be eventual death. And so it, that's why I think it's all parasitic that it's it's trying once again to find a new host within the evangelical church and we're that's our moment right now. It's we're sort of in the the uh, the burst of it where it's like hey we're here and now it's like what are we going to do about it? But yeah, ultimately I think that with the statistics that we're seeing with young people leaving the church, a lot of them are leaving through the vehicle of progressive Christianity, who knows where they'll end up, maybe in atheism, maybe coming back because sometimes that doesn't get discussed when we look at the statistics is how That's many exactly eventually right. end up coming back but but yeah I'm not I'm not worried and God's not worried and I think that it's our due diligence every generation of Christians has to stand up to the spirit of the age and say you know no you can't bring these ideas in here we're going to stand for truth even if it's unpopular uh, even if the culture ends up rejecting us and I think that's where we're at right now is, is people are having to to make those decisions and take sides essentially on, you know, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna allow this in. Hey friends, before we continue our conversation, I just want to tell you about the good folks at Faithful Counseling. I don't know about you, but I think every family at times needs the help of good counselors that are professionally licensed, but biblically informed and accessible. And the folks at Faithful Counseling are here to do that. What I like about Faithful Counseling is that this is completely online digital. So 
you uh, really kind of escape the stigma that many people have of getting up, getting in your car and going to an office, which can often be a barrier that keeps people from getting help. Uh, I know as a pastor, when I try to encourage people to go to counseling, there's just kind of a stigma that we don't want to be seen as those kinds of people. The truth is all of us could use counseling from time to time. Our family has used therapists often with us, with our kids. And I think at times it's really good for people to kind of sit down with someone and help peel through the layers of their life and get help. Faithful Counseling is completely confidential. It's all online. You can go fill out an intake form and they will match you up with a counselor that fits your needs. And if you don't like your counselor, you can switch without any cost. And so I'm going to encourage you to go to faithfulcounseling.com slash way home. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash way home and get a 10% discount off your first month's membership. That's right. If you go to faithfulcounseling.com slash way home, you can get a 10% off discount for your first month's membership. So please visit our friends at Faithful Counseling. When you think about this, Lisa, that there's no life there. That's what I ultimately saw. Yeah. There's no life there. If you reject substitutionary atonement, if you reject the deity of Christ, if you reject, you know, the virgin birth, if you reject even the the very controversial biblical sexual ethic, mm-hmm. if you reject all of that, it's it, there's no life there. And this is what I why I think we're kind of in an angry age because people want to do the people want to change the world and and I share that passion to to help the vulnerable to see people not starve to to see you know all, all the causes that people join but if you don't have the core of the gospel it's like this hamster wheel of outrage and frustration if you don't have the the narrative arc of the of the Christian story it's it's fruitless right I mean right. It I'm, ultimately it seems like w- when I read your book, you found no life there. There's no hope there. There's no hope. That is that is so well put. And I think that in so many ways, progressive Christianity is very short sighted. And there's a reason for that. When you look at the gospel presentations that progressive Christians will give, what what they tend to call the gospel, and I'll use Brian McLaren as an example, who you know, mm-hmm. of course, was one of those founding members of the emergent movement, still very influential among some of the younger and more influential leaders of the progressive movement. When he describes the gospel, he says it's really mostly about the here and now, about us being reconciled to each other here on earth before death, and that's the emphasis of the gospel for him. But as Christians, of course we know that our salvation will bear good fruit and we will do good works in the world. And I think it's it's demonstrable that Christians have done that throughout history, um, despite what the narrative sometimes is about, about Christians and good works. But but we that's not what it's about for us. That's that's not what saves us. We have our eyes on eternity and eternity in the presence of God. And yes, we will see bits and pieces of that on earth and we will we will be the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. But if we only make it about the here and now 
And interestingly, the progressive movement isn't very afterlife-minded in the sense that you don't see a lot of meaningful theological explanations of, of what even happens after we die, because it's about the here and now. And that that isn't life, that because that that is so short. The Bible says our lives are just like but a vapor, and it goes by so quickly. And when we make that the emphasis, uh, then you end up with a workspace gospel, a lot of striving, which leads to depression. And I, I and ultimately, it's, it's a death type of gospel, not a life giving type of gospel. Yeah, that's so true. This is such a really important work that you've you've done. Another gospel, a lifelong Christian seeks truth in response to progressive Christianity. What I like about what you've done and what I want to encourage folks who are listening to really understand is that you don't just talk about people, you, t- you engage with their work and you engage with some of the elements of some of this progressive Christianity. And I, and I also just want to be clear, we're not talking progressive in terms of politically progressive. We're not talking about, you know, your views on issues that good Christians can disagree on. We're not talking about any of that. We're not talking about how you feel about the marginal tax rates or, you know, your view of immigration. When we're talking progressive versus conservative, we're talking about the core doctrines of the Christian faith that have animated the church for 2000 years. And so what I like about it, you go through each of these things, you talk about, can we trust the authority of scripture? And you read some of the critics of that, like Bart Ehrman and some of the others. Uh, You talk about the doctrine of hell, you know, that's so uncomfortable and unseemly for a lot of folks. You talk about substitutionary atonement. Is this cosmic child abuse or not? And so I really, really want to encourage folks to get this. One of the things I want to ask you, I guess, at the end here is when I'm thinking about your journey here, you had some doubts, but you still had this core belief that you couldn't shake, mm-hmm. it seems like. And when you had questions, when you you, you kind of framed this book as, as your your time in a, in a church that leaned more progressive, that, and you had this class where the teacher was really openly doubting some of the claims of scripture, not doubts in terms of like doubts that like King David had and others, but like really cutting at the claims of Christianity. It drove you to do research and do your homework and, and to really dive into apologetics for all these things and read good books and all that. I wonder if how many people are driven to do that, you know, the average Christian who has these doubts, are they willing to, to really pursue these things or not. I'm nervous about that. So I I guess that's a long wind up to to ask you a couple of questions. One, if you're somebody who has maybe a child who is wrestling with these things or a friend, A, what is your advice to them to walk them through this? And, And B, if you're someone listening who has these doubts and these questions, what is your advice to them? These are good questions and they're really important questions because it all depends on why the person is doubting. And so when we're talking about honest doubt, we're talking about people who are saying, you know, this is what I've been told all my life. I really want to know what's true. There's, I think, you know, we read books on doubt and there's all kinds of different doubt that people will bring about. But I really think there's essentially only two kinds of doubt. There's honest doubt seeking truth. And then there's more of what might be a biased doubt that's seeking justification for unbelief or maybe for them wanting to reject certain things. And so they're looking for justification for that. And look, we all do that. We all can be guilty of doing that. So we have to all be careful and make sure we're not just trying to confirm our bias and, and something along those lines. But if you have a child or someone who is going through this, I think the best thing that parents can do, especially is try to establish yourself as a safe place to talk 
uh, about those things. And the way to do that is to not react in fear. If you have a child who says, look, you know, I, 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 I think about the atonement. It's hard for me to understand. It really does seem like God's this big cosmic child abuser. I don't know what to do with that. You know, the tendency for us Christians sometimes can be to react in fear or to just shut it down. Like, oh, you shouldn't think that way. Or, you know, just, just read your Bible or the Bible says so, or we shouldn't ask those questions rather than doing that. Maybe praise the question. That's that's a really good question. I'm so glad you came to me with that. And you know, there have been things like that I've wondered about, and and maybe we can just talk about it. I think just establishing that sort of safe environment, open environment to have those discussions is the first key. And even if you don't know the answers, that's fine. Uh, what a great way to say, well, hey, let's investigate that together. There was actually someone in my life who did that when um, when I was going through my time. I would I would mention these things, and this person just wasn't rattled, which really comforted me to know, okay, this is a safe place where I can talk about some of this stuff. Uh, however, on the other hand, though, if you sense that it's sort of this confirmation bias type of situation where they're already out the door and they're just looking for justification for that, I think you're right, Dan. There are people that won't dig in. They won't um, read both sides. They'll just start reading the progressive books and maybe some of the um, hyper liberal scholars, they'll start reading Bart Ehrman and just taking in everything that's uh, said from that side without evaluating the people that say, hey, I've read Bart Ehrman and I disagree with him. So I think encouraging people to read both sides. And again, without fear, if you have a child who's reading Bart Ehrman, maybe say, hey, you know what? I love that you're investigating things, but maybe you should also read Michael Kruger. Maybe you should also read Peter Williams uh, alongside or maybe listen maybe you should read Alyssa Childers. Yeah. For for instance. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, to to kind of make sure you're evaluating both sides and then for the person listening, you know, honestly, I I think that my best case that I make is in my book. And I would just encourage you to read my book because it's my story. It's not just stale. Hopefully it's not just stale apologetics information, but it's literally my journey of the questions I was asking, what answers I found, how I evaluated those questions. And I, I pray that it would be a help to someone who might be going through that. That's that's really good. And one of the things I did like too is you talked about and you cited Kara Powell in here, which I, I totally agree with this thesis that, you know, having an environment where questions can be asked in your home for you know for teens that are wrestling is really good. And obviously studies show that if they can ask those questions at home where there's a an environment where they can get good answers is better than just kind of shutting it down. And so I, I thought that was really good. But Alyssa, this is a really important work. It's a good read. So I want to encourage folks to get it, for churches to get it, for their people. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.